0: Hey everybody, welcome to this week's roundup. No special announcements, so let's jump right in and see what's been happening. Pre-orders are now open for an official reprint of the Super Nintendo game, Maiju King of Demons. And this is a 2D side-scroller that was originally only released in Japan in 1995 for the Super Famicom, making this the first official worldwide release. The price is about $60 plus shipping, and it's due to arrive to customers around October of this year. There's both NTSC and PAL versions available. There's links to both right here. And this is one of those cases where I've actually never heard of this game before, but when I looked it up, official original versions sell for a ton of money. So as long as the cartridge is built properly hard gold, beveled edges, correct voltage as long as it's not something that is a low-quality, cheap clone, essentially, then I'm all for it because people who prefer to use original cartridges now have something that they could rely on to use instead of spending hundreds of dollars on an original. You're completely and totally welcome to have your own opinions on this. Maybe you're the type that thinks, I'll just download the ROM. Maybe you're the type that thinks, if it's not the original original, it doesn't count they're all valid opinions, but I just like sharing the stuff because I do know there are a lot of people listening that would think, oh, that sounds like a very cool game. So let me check it out, see if it's something that I would want to have a full physical copy of. There is a terrible trailer available. By the way, if anybody knows Ron from RetroBit, have him reach out. I'm not trolling. I, I will very happily, for free, teach them how to make game footage look like they should, not look like you're using a 2001 capture card with a bad composite video connection, I don't understand why they don't put the time to put in the time to do that. It's not going to cost them any more money. But if anybody knows Ron, have them reach out to me. I'll gladly help their team do this right next time. But yeah, it's basically as long as the cartridge is made correctly and as long as, as it's not something that's more expensive than the original, which we have seen in retro, I'm all for, for stu- stuff like this. So check out the post if you want more info and links to everything are in there. Mike Chi recently released a new firmware for the RetroTINK 4K, and it includes a couple of additions and bug fixes, and there is some that most of you would be uh, think is most important, and there's others that I will be using more than most people. So I'm going to talk about both of them. First is the auto sampling feature for Sega Saturn, which will improve all of the games that use multiple resolutions, because it'll be able to auto sample better. And you can check out Wobbling Pixel's videos on this, which I have linked in here, that kind of show how you use some of that that extra sampling stuff, download the profiles and all of that. But that is a pretty big deal for people who own a Sega Saturn, because presumably if you're the type to spend a bunch of money on a very high-end scaler, then you're also the type of person to just take the three seconds to load up a custom profile, and that will really help auto-sample across all of the different resolutions that Saturn games have. There's also complete rewrite of the auto-sampling and auto-phase algorithm, so all systems will get slightly improved on both of those. You could still dial that stuff in manually, but as picky as I am with this stuff, I've almost never done that with the Tink 4K. In fact, I've never done it gaming or streaming, only in analysis stuff when I'm just trying to provide feedback to Mike, so it was already great, but I can't imagine how much better that's already going to be. There's also a complete rewrite of the inverse 3.2 and 2.2 telesyn de- de-interlacers. That's the stuff that basically takes 480i and makes it real progressive scan, as long as it's a 30 frame per second video. And uh, that should be improved for stability and response time. Games like uh, Final Fantasy X should now be playable in those modes. Um, There's also improved analog DAC support, including auto-calculating the decimation factor, which is great. You just plug it in and it does all that stuff for you. And there's various HDMI audio compatibility issues, including glitches for Atomos recorders and missing HDR info frames when running through AVRs. So that really handles all of the video game side of things, but here's the one that me personally will be using all the time and absolutely love stuff like this. There's the ability to generate pseudo-interlaced scan line style, uh, 480i style scan lines from 480p or 1080p inputs. So basically, um, now I will wholeheartedly admit, first off, this is not a feature most people will use. However, here's the best way to put it. Do you own Blu-rays of old TV shows that were were done as good a job as you could imagine transferring them to, you know, a, a high def format, but they still don't look Right, you could add the CRT filters and they definitely do a a great job with that, but it doesn't feel like a TV show and this stuff was obviously shot to be watched on TV. Well, it could you could do stuff like just take your blu ray player and output it in 480i, or you could just use a DVD player and output 480i, but you lose a lot of detail. so it doesn't it's not the look that you're going for, but most people would be going for. I shouldn't tell you how to how to watch things, but it's definitely not the look I was going for. So now you could take 1080p or 480p and have the same um, CRT simulate alternating frames happen that you would normally do with interlaced video while retaining all of that information. Now, you still have to use the 3.2 pull-down mode, so you're still gonna get the TV look to it. It's not gonna be smooth like going from 24 to 120 or something like that. But if you're going for a TV look, that's what you would want anyway. So essentially, you turn this on, you set it to uh, 1080p or 480p, whatever your content is, and then you just add um, a CRT mask and it, it should look, kind of that 1080i flicker look to it without losing any detail, which is absolutely awesome. There's actually a couple of modes where you can uh, actually take 1080p and make it 1080i, but I really think that if you're playing on a, uh, this content on a 4k TV, you should really try this out because for old TV shows and stuff like that, or I I guess if there's new content that you want to look like an old TV show, that's certainly fair, but this is one of those things where So many people, so many of my friends have kind of rolled their eyes when they come over and see all my CRTs. And I'm like, well, what's one of your favorite old shows? And I'll wheel the CRT over and I'll plug in the player and they'll go, Oh wow, that does look better. And now this is one of those things where I don't even need to wield the CRT over. I could just say, hey, you know, you want to watch an old X Files episode, an old Knight Rider episode, something. And, you know, you see all the film grain, you see how messy it is, you could very clearly see which of the stunt drivers are driving as opposed to David Hasselhoff. And now you throw on these filters and you retain all of that clarity and you retain the progressive scan film, but you get that interlaced flicker with a mask over it. And because it's such high resolution, the the uh, mask itself is going to be almost imperceptible. So this is not one of those things where you can go, oh, go look at that CRT mask, you know, go put your face close. But when you're sitting on the couch, you will feel the difference. And once again, complete honesty here, many of you who own a Tink 4K will go, you know, I love Knight Rider. Let me fire one of these up and try this mode and go, I don't like it. And that's totally fair. If you're, Maybe you're the type of person that wants to set it to uh, 1080p 120 and then just have it go with no judder whatsoever. There's no wrong answer to this. But for me personally, there have been many scenarios where I fired up modes like this or now this one and just went, oh, that's how it's supposed to look. Now it feels right. Now it doesn't feel like I'm looking at a messy, grainy image. So sorry to to over explain and talk too much about that. But this is one of those things that I unfortunately won't have a time to do an in-depth video on for a while. And even then, it's going to be hard to really get those examples. I'm going to have to get very good at taking footage of my CRT. And I don't really have a good 120 hertz monitor. So I just figured I would take a few moments here and hopefully not bore you all to death. You know, let me know in the Comments. If enough people are like, we're tired of hearing about TV shows on the Retro Tank, then I guess I will just quickly mention it and save it for another video, but I do have a lot of people mention this stuff to me, so I feel like it's not just me that wants this stuff in here. I, I really do feel like once uh, once people that are willing to spend $7,000 on a Lumigen processor start to see what the Tink 4K could do, they're going to start to realize what an unbelievable bargain this is for the best retro gaming scaler ever invented, so... Yeah, hopefully we could. Uh, hopefully we can get more of those people on board as well, because I really do think that this is going to start to do things that people who like older content are getting really, really excited about. Pre orders are now open for another batch of HyperFlash 32 e ink Virtual Boy ROM carts. I think a few weeks ago I talked about the non e ink single flash version, and this was the original one that I had done a video on a while back, except now you have a choice between black, white, and red, or black and white e ink screen, and two color choices for the cartridge itself. The price is $225 plus shipping, and there should arrive in May to customers, give or take a little bit. But this was This was the Virtual Boy ROM cart that I have been talking about for a while. And while I definitely like the other one, the single flash, I think that's good for people on a budget or who need a second. Maybe you want this one for your main, and then if you have a second Virtual Boy and you want to play two-player games, you can get the other one. Um, I I think this is my personal go-to and my solid recommendation for Virtual Boy, because you could play every single cart as well as all of the homebrew that has been made for it. And as I've talked about quite a bit, there is a lot of amazing homebrew in the virtual boy scene, most of which the the newer releases are better than a lot of the official releases as well. So if you own a Virtual Boy, you should absolutely consider one of these two. And if you have the budget, this one's really awesome. So um, any more info, just check out Selena's post. Uh, There's also a social media post where she demos the new red screen, which was not out when I did my video. So if you want to watch an in-depth video, there you go. But if you just want to see how the new screen looks, definitely check out her post, um, both the retro RGB post and the social media video that shows. Miss Mad Lemon just released another album called Step Inside, and this one was actually composed using software emulation, even though it was still made with an Amiga like the rest of them, because I guess she composed most of this while traveling and wasn't going to bring a full Amiga setup with her. So uh, I don't think that had, I don't mean to speak for Maddie at all, but I don't think that had any effect on the music because uh, it's just another awesome album. If you've listened to her previous albums. Some of the songs feel like they could have been on Zaman, the one from two years ago. Some of them feel like they could have been on Paradox, last year's album. So it's definitely a mix. If you liked one of those albums better than the other, it doesn't matter. This one's kind of got some, something for both of you on there. Uh, there's also a video that she put out for it. And if you want to just listen to it, you could check it out on Bandcamp. I always say, when, when it comes to music, not mu- music isn't for everybody, right? Not every song is for everyone. So give it a listen. And if you decide that you like it, consider buying it because the only way you can get artists to make more music is if they're able to fund that. I think people who haven't created albums don't really realize how much a lot of this stuff costs to make. So if you don't like it or if you just thought it was neat to listen to once, that's totally fine. But if you listen to these as much as I do, consider buying them. And I, I definitely have bought her last three. And I, it, you get the MP3 and FLAC versions. So you want to throw it on your portable player, your phone versus listen to it on a stereo. You have both versions. I plan on making another cassette uh, so that's what I did with Samana. I love, I still listen to that album all the time. And I at one point took a Nakamichi cassette player and recorded it to a higher end cassette and it came out awesome. But after I was done, I kind of learned a few things and I think I had a setting wrong because it always happens the first time you do stuff like that. So I would love to go back and do that again and even try it with this album. And it was really fascinating the differences that I was able to hear because going from full digital to analog changed some of those sounds, some of which in a, good way and some of which is uh you know i guess it's all just preference but hopefully we can get maddie to sell cassettes of this and uh i don't know i i personally would love I'd rather pay more and have a quality cassette used and have it made on a good cassette player like a good you know industrial one or even just a Nakamichi one sitting there running them every couple hours just flip the sides and I'd rather spend more to have a quality one than have it made through some of these cheap cassette places cuz I think I could be wrong about this but I think the places that make cassettes were the places that were usually doing audiobooks, because those had lasted longer than music on cassette. So they were never designed for high quality. So I, I don't know, that could have been uh, wrong, or could have been right with only one place, not others. But I, I would just, I think, I mean, the picture of the album cover has a cassette on it. So I feel like this needs to be on cassette. Maddie, as always, let me know if you need anything. I'd love to help get that out to people. But if you want to hear more from her, check out her interview. But most importantly, just Check out the uh, the album to see if you like it, because it doesn't matter if you're into Amiga music or just music. A good song is a good song. F-Zero fans have just recreated lost content from a Japanese Satellaview broadcast and made it into an IPS patch that allows you to take whatever version of F-Zero, patch it, and get this content that was broadcast out. If you don't know what any of that stuff is, I don't blame you. It's kind of a weird thing that was a Japan-only Super Nintendo, Super Famicom-era thing. And Did You Know Gaming just did a pretty awesome video on it, so I highly recommend checking that out. But A very short overview is the Satellaview was an add-on for the Super Nintendo that allowed allowed people who owned it to receive broadcasts of games. This was the very famous BS Zeldas, as well as quite a few others, and some of the things that you would get were new tracks for F-Zero, new cars to race on, and there were a couple other games as well, and a lot of that content has been lost to time, and some of it has been very painstakingly recreated. Some of it has been pulled off of old Satellaview cartridges and remade. Uh, some of which, for the MSU1 stuff, has been recreated by fans of the content. And That's kind of what happened here as well. So... Basically, if you like F-Zero at all, I would strongly recommend just reading through Alex's post and watching the Did You Know Gaming video. And, um, you know, at the very least, to kind of get the background. But if you want to try these tracks that were only playable in a satellite broadcast in the 90s in Japan, that's all available now. IPS and uh, BPS patches are there, and all you need is just a ROM of the game and that. So I I love stuff like this, because you're essentially getting a new F-Zero track, you know, basically a a short new F-Zero game that was only available in Japan for a short period of time in the 90s. So stuff like this is always fun and exciting. I haven't had time to try it myself yet, but I'd love to do a live stream if time allowed because this stuff's a lot of fun. Tito from Macho Nacho Productions just posted a video highlighting 3D printing and all of the cool things that you're able to do with it, and the star of this video is a brand new Nomad replacement shell that was created by Wesk, and the video kind of walked you through everything that you would need for this, how it looks, the quality of the print, and it was absolutely spectacular. And this is stuff that should be exciting for everybody, because if you have a 3D printer, um, or, you know, if you have access to 3D printing services, you could print a cheap replacement case. So, if your Nomad it has a cracked or beat up case, now you have a replacement for that. But if you want, you could also go to services like PCB Way and get a really high quality case. The one that Tito showed in his video was under 200 bucks, including shipping for everything, including the buttons, the extra cartridge flap, and it just looked ridiculously good. Um, the quality of this of these high end three D prints is as close to injection molding as possible. It is very very high quality, and it you know if I handed you one, it would it, you'd probably hesitate to wonder where or or how it was made. Whereas you know a lot of other three D printed stuff do their job perfectly, but as soon as you pick it up, it's like oh cool a three D print. It'd be a lot harder to tell with stuff like this. So. I would definitely check that out. I'd also, I'd love to know how many of these things could actually sell though. Cause in a case of uh, only a hundred people in the world might want it. And I, th- I probably think there's more than that, to be honest with you, but let's just say there's only a hundred people in the whole world that want this nomad shell spending just under 200 bucks to get a really high quality print from PCBWay way makes sense. That would be the most cost-effective way to do it. But if Five hundred people wanted it. Now you're talking about the about the same or less for injection molding. And if five thousand people wanted it, yeah, it'd be way cheaper. So there's always that weird line. You know, what's the right choice for a really high quality print? Is it going through people with, like, you know, like PCB Way that have a hundred thousand dollar or more 3D printer? Is it going through Rourke with um, pressure molding? Uh, is it actually getting injection molded? That's a tough one. I don't really know, but. Either way, it's a that's a conversation for another time. Definitely check out Tito's video if you want more info on the Nomad shell or basically any of the other stuff that people have been working on in the 3D printing world. Obviously, the GOAT Greg from Laser Bear has been doing this for a long time, but we have people like Wesk and Dennis doing this stuff and releasing them for free. Obviously, Todd from RetroFrog as well. Shout out to everybody who releases these designs too. But um, at DivizX for the 32X. I can stay here all day and name all the awesome people who are contributing to this stuff. So yeah, definitely recommend checking the video out. But I also would love to have any experts reach out and let me know where they think the cutoff is for numbers in this stuff. Because I do think there's a lot of things out there that one-off prints would be perfect, but... I'm wondering if in the long run, doing prints like this first to verify fit and finish are good, but then actually making an injection mold and uh, selling them that way would be better. That would require a store to take a huge risk and front the money for it, and then let them sit on the shelf for a couple years as they slowly recoup their cost to maybe break even. So that's why people don't do it. It's a huge, huge risk, but it could be the right move in the long run. So I don't know. Let's talk to people and see, but Either way, Tito's video is awesome, and so is that freaking Nomad shell. Well done, Wesk. I think Dennis has one uh, coming out too soon, so I'm uh, looking forward to seeing them both. I recently did a podcast with Kuro, the person who had released all of that amazing information doing deep dive analysis on DACs that were available, mostly for the purpose of Mr. Direct Video, but also anybody who just wants to convert HDMI to analog. And Kuro found a lot of variability between different kinds and uh, I really just wanted to talk to him both to highlight his work but to kind of walk everybody through the process of what to think about with these things. And if you're the type of person that just thinks this stuff is boring, you might still in- uh, enjoy the conversation about it cuz you could just listen to it jogging or in your car or something and let other people do the work for you. That's totally fine. Everybody everybody has a different opinion of what's fun. I love nerding out and having fun with this stuff though. So I love talking with him about it. Um, I loved hearing his opinion on things. And that's something I do in almost every one of these conversations is I ask questions that I think I might know the answer to, but I want you all to hear their opinion. And I also enjoy hearing their opinion on it. And I always learn something. So even if you already know about digital to analog conversion and how, you know, how the gray levels matter and different color steps and stuff like that, you still might just enjoy listening to the talk. We did forget to talk about resistor ladders and other stuff, but we're going to be doing a live stream at some point in the future, testing a couple of new DACs that are coming out. So I'll just have that discussion with them, then and then and follow it up. But this was a fun one, a, a deep dive, nerd versation, whatever the hell you want to call it. So basically, if you sort of want to know about it, but you don't care enough to listen to an hour, listen to the first like fifteen minutes or so, and we kind of go through the basics, and then we deep dive into it. Uh, but as always, if you're interested in these, anything I do that's podcast style, search any app at all for RetroRGB and Kuro, K-U-R-O, and it'll pop up. I don't play favorites with apps. I just want to make it easy for you all to listen to. So whatever app you listen to, or if you just want to get a direct MP3, it's all linked right on the main page as well. So uh, the other thing to mention, Lex just did a video about DAX and kind of talked a lot about Kuro's research and, and how it affects this stuff. And I didn't do a post- just about this video because I'm also going to be doing a direct video, direct video video at some point in the future. And that's going to tie in directly to it. But if you want more examples of this stuff, I strongly recommend watching that video too, because, you know, listen to the podcast and watch the video and everything that Lex says in the video will kind of make a lot of sense if you've just listened to the podcast about it. And that's, another reason why it's so important that we get really good digital to analog conversion out of the mister and any future project as well, because sometimes that's just going to be the best overall way to do things. If we just think about cost for a moment, anybody putting out new products, probably, you know, new retro products should probably think about supporting analog, but including all of that right on whatever product they're making might not make sense. Why would you make everybody pay for something that only a small percentage of people are going to use, but the people that do use analog output are going to want it? They're going to want a good quality version, and we're going to look to DAX for this. So while there are, well, there's at least one person in the community working on making one with us in mind, you know, retro gaming, high quality, not skimping on parts and stuff like that, it might not, uh, it's not released yet, and there's always going to need to be a need for alternatives. So, stuff like this is important. And if you just want a Mr. Case with a good DAC built in, check out the video I did about the Retro Castle cases. It is totally okay if you're like, stop talking, Bob. I don't care about any of this stuff. Just tell me what to buy, and I'll buy it. Just buy that Retro Castle case, then, and you'll be fine. Now it's time for this week's Mr. Updates, Care of Lou from Lou's Source. As usual, I'm just going to skim through these and add my thoughts where I feel like it, but if you want visual examples and more details, please check out Lou's video. First up, Hotego just released the JT Aliens core to the public, so you can just run Update All and get Aliens, Super Contra, Thundercross, and a bunch more. Next, Shane Lynch is working on a project that la- lets you cast any content from a PC to a CRT via the Groovy Mister project. I've been talking about that the past couple of weeks. That project is insanely good, thanks to Calamity and everybody else for working on that. And Shane just took it a step further and allows you to do to send anything through it, so PC games, but also just video. So if you want to watch content on a CRT, this could be the easiest way to do it, presumably if you already own a Mister. If you don't own a Mister and don't want one, I wouldn't buy it just for this. But holy crap, what an awesome project this has turned out to be. So I absolutely have to do a live stream at some point in the future just testing Groovy Mister and going through this stuff because it's super exciting. Um, We already talked about uh, Kuro's work as well as Lex's video and stuff, so I'll skim right through it. The latest Saturn Core updates has now helped a bunch of games, including NBA Jam Tournament Edition, which I think is a good version of that game if you're into it. So thanks to SRG320 for continuing work on that. I never thought I'd see a Saturn Core on the MiSTer, so that's pretty awesome. Next, Pierco reviewed the schematics for the Japanese Fujitsu FM7 computer and determined that not implementing the MCU should have no negative impact on the Core's accuracy. So turns out that... um, That might not be needed, and that computer core might just be able to progress without it. Next, there was a ton of maintenance updates to a bunch of different arcade cores, like Joust and uh, uh, also Tropical Angel. So, as always, just run your update software, and you know, thanks to all the developers who continue to go back and update existing cores. It's always fun to talk about new stuff, but all the all the hardcore nerds know sometimes the most important work is just the quiet stuff. Oh, I updated this and fixed half the problems and now it's near perfect that that's uh that's always really appreciated next there's a whole bunch more n64 rendering fixes specifically v rally clay fighter 64 and vigilante 8 all have improvements now there's also been an update to the color computer 3 core uh with a bunch of updates and changes so accuracy is improved and uh Parodius Da is now available to play if you're a beta, or if you're a Patreon subscriber of Hotego as a beta. The game seems fully playable, but there's also some broken sprites. I mean, that's part of being a beta tester, but that seems like a very cool side-scrolling shooter game, so... Or shmup whatever you want to call it but that uh, definitely is one that i think i would want to try fairly soon so if you're a patreon sub just uh i always just have it auto updated through update all you could just add that right in the menu and then just manually put the jt beta file in and if you have any issues the easiest way to fix it every like every year or so i end up ref uh, flashing my mister anyway but if you have any issues you could just delete the arcade folder then rerun update all, come back in a bit, and it should be all fixed. So if you have any issues, it should be an easy fix for that one. And lastly, Spark 2K06, who brought the PCXT core, has made unofficial modifications to Mr. that add support for the Tap2 project. And uh, an official pull request hasn't been done yet because they're just waiting for more testing to be done. So basically what this means is, you know, hey, Sorg, here is... Um, you know, here's an example of what could be added if you want to. And, you know, here's how I did it, you know, and I'll add the request. So that way, if it's one of these things that doesn't interfere with anything else, that might just make the main uh, Mr. update. So you can just update it and have it added. And if it's something where it conflicts with something else, maybe Sorg could just kind of hold off and wait till or or maybe tweak it. But I love this approach because that way you're not asking Sorg to do a whole bunch of work. You're saying, hey, I already did the work. If this doesn't mess with your existing setup, you know, you want to add that in. So that's cool. I like people who take the approach like that. And that might mean that if everything falls into place, all you would have to do to add the tap card support would just be to run update at some point in the future. So anyway, as always, thanks so much to Lou for doing this. There's no way I could keep up with all this stuff without him. So please make sure to scri- subscribe to Lou's channel and check his stuff out too. Stone Age Gamer has just opened pre-orders on the Atari 7800 game drive. If you don't know what that is, I'll go back over it in a second. But what you need to know for now is that 100 were available right now when I'm recording this podcast on Tuesday, but then another 100 will be released on Thursday at 8 p.m. and another 100 on Saturday at 10 a.m. New York City time. And this is a staggered release just because they sold out basically immediately last time. This was a, a pretty big item, which if you're not aware of it, you'll know why this is so important in a second. So if you want one of these from them, uh, now those are the times to pick it up. There's definitely other sellers out there who have it. Uh, so you could check the links in here as well. And if I forgot to put a store in here, let me know. I know there's always one or two stores I forget. It's never intentional. So my apologies. But um, The other thing about this is it's coming with an official legal copy of the game Ricky and Vicky, which is a 7800, I don't want to call it homebrew because it's way more advanced than what you would think of as homebrew, but it also has audio options that are only available on the 7800 game drive. No other ROM car or emulation device currently supports all sound options from that. And if you already own the 7800 Game Drive or if you're purchasing it from a different vendor, it is for sale on Steam, which means you could legally purchase that game very cheap and get the ROM for it. So if you've already got one, don't worry. It's not that big of a deal. But if you were kind of waiting to pick up one of these, now's definitely the time. You can get that, the SCART cable that works with it, as well as the Mega 7800, which is the... Um, the controller adapter that allows you to use Genesis controllers as well as the Master System light gun on it, all uh, from the same retailer if you want to. Now, if you're not aware of what this is, it's a ROM cart for the Atari 7800 that also plays Atari 2600 games, and it has a Genesis 2 style mini-din on it. And this uses what is best described as hybrid emulation to get audio and video output. And the way it works is you're using all of the chips on the 7800. So you're using an original everything, except then the video is generated on an FPGA and output through that. So you're essentially able to get crystal clear, really high quality RGB video output, but you're still technically running on the original console. So it's a great halfway point for people that don't want to mod anything because it's literally just a plug and play thing. It's like Crix's RGB blaster, but with the ROM cart built in. So I think that's one of the many reasons why this was such a big seller, because you can't even get Atari 2600 RGB kits anymore. So not only would you have had to install it in a 2600, but you can't get it. Whereas now, if you already own a 7800, you just plug this thing in, now you have 2600 and 7800 games all in RGB. So I think this is an absolutely awesome ROM cart, and if you own a 7800, you at least need to consider picking one up. If you want to see it in action, I did a live stream with James right when it came out, and we demoed everything. We demoed the light gun, we demoed uh, you know the, all the different controller adapters, we played Ricky and Vicky for a little bit, so if you, and of course we put it on a scope and, and checked everything out and made sure the video voltage was all safe. So if you want a deep dive on what this thing could do, definitely check out that video or if you want, just pick it up through Stone Age Gamer or any of the other retailers who might be selling it. Well, that's it for this week. As always, thanks so much to everybody who watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments and thank you especially to anybody who supports in any way possible because it's really you who's keeping all this stuff alive. So thank you all so much and I'll see you next week. This week's roundup is brought to you by Neo Paradigm Entertainment, connecting Southeast Asian influencers with opportunities in the West.